1: Hi everybody, this is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hi there. How are How are you? I see a cat just, I just ran out saw, of the room. Yeah, a black cat. <laughs> I think I think they hide behind the furniture while we're recording, and out they go. The He's first like is that bitch still here? Aren't you guys done? <laughs> it's like I see my opportunity. They're talking again. They won't see me. So today on the show, we're going to talk about Hannibal, the television series um, that was that aired. Uh, On Netflix, I believe, from 2013 to 2015, um, three seasons. It explores the early relationship between renowned psychiatrist Hannibal Lecter and his patient, a young FBI criminal profiler who is haunted by his ability to empathize with serial killers. It stars Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen. Who are awesome, I might add. <laughs> we're They're gonna really great. I mean, the go whole cast that. was fantastic. Yeah. So I was thinking um, a lot of people will know what we're talking about. And this TV series obviously relates to the books of the same name um, and also the blockbuster movies, uh, Silence of the Lambs, etc. Red Dragon. Yeah. Which animal. are, which all, yeah, <laughs> which all, cor- that's why I said etc. <laughs> which all correlate to the books and you can go down that rabbit hole should you choose to. However, today on the show, we're just going to talk about the TV series. I guess we can start with initial impressions, I believe. So I had seen this full series once before, and I have now rewatched the full series for our discussion today. Had you seen it before? Or? I had not. Okay. That's awesome, though, mm-hmm. that like... I like a first impression.
0: Yeah, I and I will say that in three seasons, they covered a lot.
1: Yeah, we could never do like a really deep dive into episodes or even into plot because it's massive. We'd have to go. It's one of those ones you'd have to go episode by episode. It's so there's so much. But
0: yeah, I appreciate um, the development of this character for the series though because yeah you know I grew up watching Silence of the Lambs and all of that and I think those movies were great but they were a very abbreviated you um piece of what this series is really about. And I love that this series is the the um, the prequel. Hannibal's younger and you get to see him in his prime mm-hmm. and the way that he grooms and manipulates the FBI and comes and in. he's incredibly charming. First of all, Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, is so great in this role. He's
1: exceptional. I think it's I mean, I don't want to say it's his best, but I think he's exceptional at this. I think he was exceptionally cast because, and I'll just tell you really quick why because I'm sure you were about to say something, um, the his ability to blend a total full-on predator with a artistic dandy, you know, like sophisticated, you know, we often talk about psychopaths in media as like sophisticated and brutal and all of that, but he takes it to a whole other level in my opinion. It's a very
0: gory series, but then it's so, so to add to that, Mm -hmm. and these thoughts are coming up as we're, we're talking about it because I love what you just said. It's so artistic. Mm -hmm and grotesque at the same time that they'll take a scene that's whether it's cannibalistic or just really grotesque. And then the next scene, you know, he's also this wonderful chef. Yeah. So you know, the next scene they're sitting down and he has created this masterpiece, which 90% of the time were remains of someone he had killed. Cannibal the cannibal. But he <laughs> had put it in this beautiful display fine dining sort of gourmet chef he's a gourmet chef and um so it really messes with your head because and this is this is really just what his character is anyway is is this um dichotomy of charm and perfection and he's sexy and he's intelligent Mm -hmm. and he's seductive and he's brilliant and then there's like you said this whole other um very impulsive frantic yeah you know
1: insatiable
0: psychopath
1: yeah yeah and I I really think you know we're just talking sort of generally about the whole thing and what we've found with the character and so I mean my thoughts are that you know I think he I think in this series by season three, he transcends psychopath like psychopath uh, pathology (laughs) Um, to something else that we to something different that we haven't like that. We don't get to experience too much because, like you said, it'll be a movie that's 90 minutes or, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that the sophisticated predator that he is, is transcended to. Um, a romantic hero you know there's a piece of this it's a buddy that's a buddy film that's a doomed love story between these two people because it's hunter and hunted it's doctor and patient it's a it's and i'm talking and for those of you who haven't watched the series it's between will and um um Oh my gosh, Hannibal! Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Duh. Um, the, the two men that are that are in, embroiled in this kind of um, well, it's, it's uh, like
0: a, like a dance between yeah. the they're amazing. Like Freud's drives, right? It's yep. like the sex and death thing going on for sure um, through the whole. And then he has this uh, other relationship with Jillian Anderson, which, by the way, she's also. Oh my god! I mean, I thought I loved her in Sex
1: Education because she's brilliant in that, but this role. So I watched Hannibal before Sex Education, right? So like when 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 I we were talking about this episode and I was like, oh, well, I'd love to do an episode on Hannibal. And you, you said you hadn't seen it. And I was like, oh, my God, Gillian Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> you have to watch it just for that. Now, it's
0: funny because and a lot of people may stop listening to our podcast after I say this. <laughs> Sweet. I was not a huge fan of hers during X-Files. Yeah, uh, I, I was never a big fan of that show. I didn't find her particularly... Alluring, attractive. She was like, She was different then. She was. (laughs) But the older she has gotten, not only has she aged incredibly well, her acting has gotten better. Oh, yeah. The parts she chooses. I'm completely like seduced by her now. Yeah, her
1: maturity, right? Yeah. Like she just she just matured in front of her eyes, right? Even with her choices yeah. and all that. And I and so many so many actors do that and so many actors don't do that. And I think she has done that really just so sweetly and brilliantly because between this and there's been a couple of other series that she's done that have just been so freaking quality. Um anyway. So we her love I mean just to
0: give people maybe a little context of who she Please. is in this too is she plays um Dr. Bedelia DeMore, I think is how you say it. Mm-hmm. She plays Lecter's psychiatrist, who, if you remember from the original film series, uh, was once attacked by um, you know, one of Lecter's former patients who mm-hmm. who ends up going to see her and um in and then she ends up also in this dance with him, with Hannibal. Um that there's also a, a psychosexual relationship going on there. But he, she's almost like a Marion, one of his marionette puppets. I mean, and she, what I love about her character is she's so aware of how controlled she is and how much throughout the series she tries to alert Will, listen, we are in this trap. And if you decide to go, I remember in season three when he wants to go back and see him And he says, do you want to come with me? And she says, I've seen enough of him. Um, But she can't help but be so seduced and in love and lust and um, in love with his brilliance and everything that she really fights her way out of wanting him. Mm -hmm. Um, So those two characters are really... I think
1: the most controlled. Yeah, Hannibal. there's these, there, there's all these little duos in this show, yeah. Cause, and 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 because it's so well done, um, character-wise, and the actors are so good, and they've really just paid attention to all of these little relationships. Like they just really lean into them. You've got. All these little duos between all of the different, you know, good and evil type of characters, right? And then also the characters that are both. And so, or grappling with that grayness. And they're all... And they're all really well-developed. Like, you know, when it's two, as soon as two people come on the screen, because a lot of the scenes are two people, it's like as soon as the two people come on the screen, you know exactly who they are, like what they want, how they go about things, who they are in relationship with each other. And that's not an easy thing to do in a television series, much less a movie or anything else. It's like, how many series do we watch where we just don't know what's going to no,
0: happen? the amount of... <laughs> not only character development, but relational development over these three seasons. I've never seen um, Agreed. A, a, a series do this. this it, it was so complex, but it wasn't confusing. It didn't feel like it was too much. And I think a lot of what happens through the three seasons without giving it away is what we see as a fall from innocence to experience based on what happens to them. First of all, will... Uh, I don't, I don't know how he could have endured that much complex post-traumatic stress and still be able to get up and walk
1: and do his job. So crazy. I Um, mean, that's, that's obviously drama. Sure. Like a
0: regular person, probably not. And then you have like Dr. Alana Bloom who starts off as this very, very innocent, you know, she's in love with Will. And then as she gets pulled into Hannibal and then all of this series of events Mm -hmm. happens, um, they bring in, um, is it Victor Berger? Is that his name from, yeah, all he, she gets dragged into all that and she matures due to the trauma she goes through. So you see this like fall from innocence to experience with all of them. Yeah. Three years.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I was saying before, as far as like, um, the psychopath piece of this is that I feel like Hannibal transcends that because he's more of a, he becomes more of like a fallen angel, like a, um, like, like he's not a person anymore. It becomes very mythological and very symbolic. As Almost far as and like a
0: messiah complex. Yeah, because yeah. there's a part of them that also know that they are more mature and evolved and stronger because of him, but also at... Yes. At the cost of their yes. soul,
1: it's freaking brilliant, it man! It really, really is. It I mean, is that is what we like. That is my jam. Like my favorite thing ever is an antihero, and I've talked about that many mm-hmm. times. It's like that Batman my favorite comic character because it's like he's bad and he's good. He's mm-hmm. struggling with the deep desire to do things that are not acceptable, and I and and this is obviously the antithesis. I mean, this is the like height of that. But yeah, I totally agree. It's like it, it, it's it's such an amazing representation of of all of that. Well, I think it's one of the most psychoanalytic. Oh,
0: my God. Right. Series. Because so that takes us to the visuals. Yeah. I mean, because we have we have, there's definitely psychosexual stuff going on. There's unconscious drives going on. There's central conflicts going on. I mean, there's so much of it like we're talking about now is fighting between who we want to be versus who we think we are versus like persona ego persona ego shadow <laughs> i mean there's so much of yeah. that which which you and i both just eat up like nothing totally um so i i love that so much because when you think a character is all good like alana bloom yeah. Then you see no, she's human. Yeah. Right? And then vice
1: versa. Even she has an arc. You know Even what I mean? She has an arc. Which is awesome because you don't you don't think that she's gonna and she does. So it's cool.
0: So that's yeah. I, and I really and over that. the
1: three seasons, I will say that it really does progress. In other words, like I'll I'll tell you that, you know, uh Jillian Anderson's character is there in season one and season two, but season three is where she really gets gets going. In in which season? Three. Oh yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so there's a Progression of it. You find out more about her in season three. Yeah, I just feel like her performance and what they give her to do. And and what I'm saying is like it what I what I guess I'm speaking to is that there's the arc over the three seasons, even. In other words, they don't rush. No. <laughs> they They take their sweet time and they like a meal. So it's all a metaphor, right? So if Hannibal is an artist who believes that truly loving someone is to actually eat them you know not your typical cannibal you know uh, that that's one that's one thought about cannibalism but he actually wants you know a lot of cannibalistic psychology can be about uh ingesting someone you know becoming them etc mm-hmm. his his psychology is kind of around if you truly love someone you will transcend them into art and mm-hmm. that's what you were talking about before with like he he will care about someone and kill them, and then create a, a what he what is his artistic expression to elevate them. In other words, like the gift of elevating them in in the sphere of the world and consciousness. And then by ingesting them, he is taking that on himself. Yeah. And and um, it's so
0: it's so brilliant. I, I don't know if you remember the line where. Um, Jillian Anderson. No, I'm sorry. Um, Hugh Dancy, who plays Will, says to Jillian Anderson, uh, "You're the bride of Frankenstein," and she says, "We're both the bride of
1: Frankenstein." <laughs> oh yeah. He That's for did sure. this to
0: both of us, but I think it's it's like a more you know diluted version of what you just said, which yeah. is he, in the sense, brought them back to life in this hellish way yeah, for sure. um, and owns them. He's their God, his, mm-hmm. their creator, their, um, yeah. And he basically can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And them.
1: so I mentioned the visuals, so we should just speak to that super quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was saying the pacing, they don't rush, they don't feel your urgency, the film, the makers of this stuff. They had a, like what you think, believe when you're watching it at least this is what i believed is that they knew exactly what they were doing mm-hmm. they knew exactly what they wanted to cover this might not be true i have no idea but it came off like they knew exactly how they wanted the arc to go and they were in no rush to force you to be linear or understand everything that was going on that like you had to sit in being just like and yeah, no. i yeah. you had to sit and being uncomfortable with like what is that and it's, why is yeah. that happening mm-hmm. um but not in a blunt instrument way like a trash horror movie but like in a very sophisticated way and the reason why i say that is because the visuals <laughs> MJ. omj i don't even know what that is oh my is. jesus oh my jesus oh my baby jesus <laughs> ombj uh-huh um i think that um the visuals are exceptional the cinematography is flipping amazing and the cgi i just what they do with it is so amazing and let's say that the score was too and i know that this is this is like oh we love it you know
0: this the score was really terrifying and it's it almost just sounds like these very primal drum noises with like a rattlesnake tail.
1: <laughs> there's actually lots of songs and yeah. it's pretty interesting when there you, are Yeah. When, there are. I mean when you look up the like the score, um it's like people you would recognize some of them and making them and I don't know. really every,
0: every time there's a like a really demonic moment going on there, they use this same score. Yep. Um which is the drums with like this rattlesnake. It really becomes effective when the red dragon comes in. Well, they've cast the music. So there's the music way,
1: to each character. The
0: guy that played, uh, was it Francis, whatever, who plays, uh, the Dr. Chilton. No, 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 not Dr. Chilton, oh. red dragon. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Uh, he yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. Too. yeah. They so are. one of the things that really freaked me out, but I also thought was a great piece of symbolism through the series was the symbolism of the stag. Mm-hmm. So, um, every time for will, he saw it every time there was either a presence of evil or Hannibal was around, but any, it, you know, when Will experiences a presence of evil, it appears almost like a hallucination. And it has, like, it's really creepy, like this black paint. And it's, you know, it's Hannibal's face with these really, Amazing. really large, large horns. Yep. There's a lot of symbolism, even when the Red Dragon's having his, like, hallucinations and his delusions, and he can feel the tail coming out of him. And you see these huge wingspan. Mm-hmm. It's really freaky. I mean, they do a great job, um, that terror factor, that demonic factor, because I think so many people are no longer afraid of like the devil and all that stuff, but they did it in a way that made it incredibly terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also, the stag also, I think is the embodiment of sort of the primal and reptilian side of will. So he sees the stag come and go throughout, you know, the three seasons, but he, you know, we, we know a lot of stuff's going on with him. Um, mentally and physically, yeah, too. I
1: actually, the next thing I was going to say is, what's wrong with Will, Kathy?
0: <laughs> we don't know. I mean, so I think Will's character is based on part partial truths of science and psychology, and I think there's yeah. some supernatural stuff clearly going oh, on as clearly. well. So, you know, the way that I was looking up some stuff about him, the way that they would describe him would be that there was a, an empathy disorder, but it's um, – what ends up happening is – he becomes part of the FBI because he has this over this hypersensitivity. But so when there's a murder that happens, he steps in and he's able to sort of, uh, dissociate and visualize himself committing the murders, um, as a way of interpreting the evidence. So this starts to take a a huge toll on his psyche. Um, the way, what he believes he has at the beginning is a form of autism, um, or some sort of pervasive de- developmental disorder, which clearly we know that mm-hmm. people who have autism or a PDD are, are not uh, psychopathic. I'm not trying to combine those at all. But at the beginning, there's this. Uh, they, they kind allude, of throw out they, some theories yeah, about they his issues. That. Um, however, you know, and some of that comes from he's very concrete. Um, his empathy is present, but it's um, it's maladaptive. He's blunted. Mm-hmm there's the, the the fact that um he has empathy towards the dark side is what makes this more of a supernatural piece it's like all of a sudden he has this hypersensitivity and this uh, this empathy that happens but he's only pulled in by this dark side, so it's, there's more room for him to be pulled in by Lecter. He also suffers from an anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. So this is a real, this is actual a, a real um, condition that can cause cause paranoia, hallucinations, aggression, um, cognitive problems, memory deficits, speech disorders, seizures, movement disorders. So this sort of gets linked into everything else going on. So it gets to a point where you don't really know what symptom is coming from what disorder. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely like a questionable mental health diagnosis going on there. Um, And just without going too far into the rabbit hole, you know, there's multiple theories behind um, cognitive and affective empathy. And so what I mean by that is people who, um, tend to be more psychopathically oriented, have cognitive empathy, which means they can accurately understand what someone else might be feeling. They're able to read someone's feelings, but they lack the affect of empathy, which is um, the willingness to really care and and put themselves in that person's shoes, where autism is sort of different. Um, at least there's multiple theories, but one theory is that, and this is really, really, by the way, I'm, I'm making this... Um, very one-dimensional. Autism is much more complicated than this, so I don't want to be offensive. Well, yeah, that's here. why we
1: call it a spectrum, right? Yeah, it's complicated. So
0: with autism, there's there's a presence of warm empathy, affective empathy, but sometimes the accuracy or the cognitive empathy may be absent. So what we do notice with Will throughout the series is he certainly has um, the 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 affective empathy, um, but he he's also very accurate in mm-hmm. his. Um, depiction of what's going on in these these situations so he it's really really complicated his mental health diagnosis to me is incredibly questionable because it's also multifaceted by um the encephalitis that he suffers from which gets him in all this trouble
1: in season two which we won't even go into but he's a complicated dude super complicated so for those of you who don't know When you, when we're not going to diagnose them, it's too complicated and it's also based and not in reality. Right. (laughs) But what I would say, just something that came to mind while you were talking is um, for those of you who don't know, we we have to take, um, as a consideration and diagnosis, we have to take any organicity first. So any medical conditions, any brain trauma, any all of the anything that might be what we would say a medical um, concern, we have to say, that's first and foremost, and then the psychology can inform that But if it's based on a medical diagnosis, then that shifts how we look at the psychology. So I just wanted to give that give that you and know, he did.
0: He had a, a brain disorder. So exactly mm-hmm.
1: support to what you were saying. Uh, I guess the way I would say what you were saying is that he obviously over empathizes. Um, he does. He's he's might be on the spectrum. He absolutely has social anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think complicates a whole lot of things. He's got a blunted affect, which means he's pretty flat. Like his affect is not expressive. And, um, no he, eye contact. Either, no is eye contact. Like yeah. Which is to me, that's the, either the spectrum or the social anxiety. Lots right. of people with profound anxiety or profound trauma or on the spectrum will not, um, not be really comfortable with eye contact. I find that a lot in kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I guess I, I I was thinking like he does this like mind mapping thing, right? So, for the purposes of drama and really amazing visuals, he he's a profiler. So like all the Profiler criminal series that you've ever watched, he goes into the room, they leave him in the room so he can connect with the killer. All except they're doing it in a really artistic way where you're he all of a sudden is in the body of the killer when the killing happened, and then he can empathize with what's happened, and it makes for stunning visuals and wonderful drama for us. So that's why it's like not diagnosable because it, it's basically – I mean, the closest you could come to it is if someone over empathizes and has a vivid imagination and then goes into a hypnotic state where they um, put themselves in the position of someone else or, you know, they're a clairvoyant, whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, I th- and I and like we know as well, when we're looking at diagnoses and looking at contexts is we don't know everything about his childhood, um, but we Mm-mm. can assume that there's a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with trauma victims who, um, believe uh that you know well not only do they believe they actually dissociate and uh, I have one in particular who believes that she has seen things and had visions and Mm -hmm. she understands now um, later in life that a lot of that is from the trauma and we've talked a lot about that but it's really interesting to hear um some of what her body and mind would do when she was still really locked into that trauma so i think we're dealing with someone with a, a, a severe trauma disorder as well and then, oh, he, then he continues to go through it through the series mm. My well God.
1: oh for sure and our profession is not particularly great at the trauma diagnosis no. and i kathy and i agree on this um we don't we don't do particularly well with this and that's why now there's a buzzword in the psychological industry of being trauma informed like we literally had to give it a buzzword so that you knew if the person you were talking to was actually trauma Informed, In other words, that and, and what speaks to that, if you know anything about like the etiology of uh, words and <laughs> stuff in the culture is that they separate it out, call it trauma informed so that people who know what they're doing are trauma informed. This is totally my opinion, obviously. And then it'll be another decade or so bef- be- before we don't have to use that word anymore that everyone is expected to be well, trauma informed.
0: I will say this. I would say that the majority of psychologists uh, who do evaluations, and I, I tell this to my students all the time, is we for uh, many clinicians forget to assess for trauma. Yeah. Which can be exactly what we might think could be a personality disorder or mood disorder. If we're not assessing for that, which taking this back to Will, if we don't consider that trauma is uh, a, a lot of what we're seeing, then we could be looking at him as a you know, as a psychopath or, Mm -hmm. or someone with autism, when really what we're seeing is a manifestation
1: of complex trauma. Yep. So. Agreed. And interesting for this series as well, because um, I really think, so for the audience, for the person watching this, what I, where I think the tension and the interesting piece comes is based on will over-empathizing and having all of these issues and these ma- major what, you know, you might want to call delusions, right? You could go that direction where he just like gets in a room where someone has died and has delusions, which is not the way delusions work. <laughs> but but that's kind of what happens in the drama. And it makes for great drama. I don't mm-hmm. need it to be like psychologically sound. That would be actually quite boring. So, um, But I think for the audience, the tension comes when there's a particular time period in the series where you're struggling to know whether he also sympathizes with them so he empathizes with them but then you're starting to ask yourself wait is he a serial killer it does he overly sympathize with and then now is he killing too and that becomes sort of the a lot of the tension and so i think that's a cool thing yeah um so i feel like So what I I guess I would say is that uh, the core of this whole show is, like you said, super psychological, analytic for sure, lots of symbolism, but you don't have to like any of you don't have to like that type of psychology to like this, this series, like, you can look at it just from a purely um, uh, dramatic and, you know, love of media kind of way, because it's really well done. But they definitely concentrate on people's minds and motivations. Sure. So it's like. When we're talking about the little duos and the little relationships and um, the romantic hero and the doom love story and the bromance and all that stuff that's happening, um, you know, you're looking at character motivations. And so I would say this series... Not only does it excel in a lot of the things we've talked about, but it also excels in the motivational, like character motivations. You just really always know what somebody wants. Mm -hmm. And what is the first thing an actor does when they look at a part and they start breaking down a part and they start to want to act it? They figure out what their motivation is in every single beat. And you know damn well these actors did that or they're really good at their jobs and they just know how to do that on the fly. And they're always attending to their, you know, what does my character want in this Mm -hmm, moment? mm -hmm. And then, and then that informs the performance. And I just, I really feel like they did that.
0: Yeah. It was very believable. Um, You don't,
1: you forget you're watching a series. Mm -hmm. So I guess if we were to say sort of what's, um, I don't know, more difficult about it or critical about it, and then we can kind of wrap up the discussion, but I um, you were saying to me before we started, which is something I really agree with is, is like, if you're trying to binge it, that's going to be rough because it's it's dark and I think it lays heavy and I think it's thoughtful. And because you're so steeped in all of the character motivation and all of the relationship, that's like. Pro, you have to process it a oh, bit <laughs> I, I started it in june
0: and finished today
1: yeah so, right um so, well that's good L- that's, literally 10 minutes good... before i showed
0: up to your house i had it playing in the car <laughs> like the last 10 minutes like, I'm like i gotta fine.
1: get to the end um and the ending
0: is great yeah um, it but is. i and I, I every season's very different um there are parts where it goes the the
1: off the rails <laughs>
0: It's incredibly visual. Yeah, Um, true. And and we talk about slasher films and stuff all the time. This is this is like cutting flesh off of somebody's face while they're awake. Yeah, Um, true. And because it's so psychosexual, there's also a lot of like really just implicit, sadistic, uncomfortable scenes that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I will. uh, This is this is a quick snippet from a BBC Culture article though, and I, Mm -hmm. I totally agree with this. Because I think sometimes gore can be uh, used as a crutch, like in movies like uh, Hostile. I, I hated that series, and yeah. I like Eli Roth, but I just thought that series yeah. was just, there was no depth at all to it. Um, he says, Gore was not for nothing, but rather representing the fleshy outward expression of the character's inner turmoil, emotionally, emotional density beneath all the horror. So um, it does, the gore is, is, is it's, it's part of the language Um, It's intentional, but it's necessary. It's not just gratuitous or there to shock people. Okay. That's how I felt anyway. And and it's hard to stomach. I mean, it's not not an easy series to sit through visually.
1: No, I think if you try to, uh, when I'm listening to you explain that, I think if you try to binge it too fast, I think what will happen is like with a lot of things, you'll be – overwhelmed from a sensory perspective yeah so we've all watched those things that are just really stimulating in from like a nervous system way like visuals and content is different the depth of it, the intensity of the performances, so much close-up action. I mean, mm-hmm. you you see those characters, they're in close-up profile like a ton. Mm-hmm. So that just tells me from a filmmaker perspective, like, they're wanting you in their heads. Mm-hmm. They're wanting you super intimate with them. So that's just a lot of, like, relational, visual yeah. stimulation. And I just feel like to, to like it more... <laughs> um, It would be helpful not to get super overwhelmed. And so I would just, if you're considering watching it, because I really, I mean, I think we both recommend it. Yeah, it's good. like, it's a good one to put in your... take your time through it. To take your time, watch other stuff, you know, watch a couple episodes, and then a couple weeks later, watch a couple more and just like, you know, sit and be with it because it's super awesome. That's super awesome. That Mm -hmm. sounds cool. (laughs) Super awesome. (laughs) I'm like, all of a sudden, I a (laughs) 14-year-old... Super awesome! Like super. I did just watch Bill and Ted: uh, Ted's Excellent Adventure last month. So was it the the new one you watched? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um. (laughs) it was a most excellent adventure. This Hannibal TV series, and I think we both recommended. And I'm happy. I'm not. I'm happy. I watched it again. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We very much appreciate you. Please check out all the social media channels that we have because we're always posting good stuff. And if you like. You can also support us on Patreon. We'd really appreciate it. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.